What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Morning Shakeout podcast. This is going to be our second installment of the Pillars of Performance series. And here with me to set it up, talk about it a little bit, is my right-hand man, Chris Douglas. Chris, I like doing this intro with someone else <laughs> rather than just reading it's so off much better. a script. It's way, way better, in, in my opinion. I mean, people are probably like, I wish you guys wouldn't uh, just keep rambling and just get to the episode. But it's good for me, so hopefully it's good for everyone else. Thanks for coming over to chat about it with me. Definitely, definitely. I even came prepared with some uh, suggested titles for this Pillars of Performance episode one being the super obvious strength training for runners podcast. <laughs> SEO friendly title. <laughs> and uh, the pillars of running that everyone knows exists, but are most, most, li- more, most likely to, to ignore. <laughs> because I think in listening to this conversation, and we're going to talk about it in detail here, is every, we all know we're supposed to do this stuff. Yeah. But why, why is it so hard for, I mean, we know we're supposed to do it. Why is it so hard for runners to get out there and do the strength workouts? Yeah. Well, one, that title is way too wordy uh, for this episode. Um, also, my guest for it is Dr. Ein Bui, who I actually coach, full disclosure, lives here in Marin County, where we also call home. And her business is called Run Resiliently Physical Therapy. She operates out of Renegade Running in Oakland, California on the East Bay, but she also does... I think some home visits on occasion, don't quote me on that, and has pretty strong social media presence where she shares a lot of related information to what we talked about in this episode. So I was actually thinking of calling it Run Resiliently with Dr. Ein Bui. That's why you're the writer. <laughs> oh, one, it's on, one, it's, one it's, it's a little more concise. It's on brand for her. And really, I mean, for, for me, that was the big takeaway from this conversation that strength training, she's also a certified strength and conditioning coach. And I will call it physical therapy, but it's really just the maintenance side of things is so, so important for all runners, whether you're just getting into the sport um, and, or especially if you've been doing it for a long time and just have a lot of miles on your body. So this is the second episode in the pillars of performance series. Mario, why don't you tell us where we're at with this and what we can expect next? Yeah, so this is part two of the four-part Pillars of Performance series, which we kicked off in the last episode with New Balance Boston coach Mark Coogan. And this second pillar is another foundational element that is going to sustain performance over a long period of time. And that's strength training and maintenance, which is just so important no matter what level of runner you are, what your goals are, because you have to be able to do more than run. You have to be strong. You have to be resilient to injury and the various other things that you know pop up when you are on this journey. And I mean, I, I couldn't think of anyone better than Dr. Ian Bowie, who is a fast runner in her own right, but also a doctor of physical therapy and certified strength and conditioning coach to help just like talk through all of this with me. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I loved about this conversation was just the idea of um, focusing on fundamentals and how, you know, and that and that's, doesn't necessarily just go for strength, but I think you can throw in like nutrition in there as well. It's like, all right, what are the basics? What are the things that you can be doing right now to stay healthy, progress in your sport? And it doesn't involve a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people listening to this, and I, I know this from my time working at Competitor and seeing what people were searching for online, just questions I get as a coach is going to be 
the injury prevention side of it. No one likes getting hurt. And as Ayn and I talk about during this conversation, it's part of the process of being a runner. I mean, no one likes to get hurt, but it's probably going to happen to you at some point. And that's okay. I mean, you can work through it and there are resources um, that are going to, to help you do that. But there's a lot that goes into, you know, injury and coming back from injury. And it's not just strength training and it's not just doing the exercises. It is a lot of the... I think low hanging fruit that's that's so hard to grab sometimes, like getting enough rest, eating properly. And we talk through all of that in addition to, yes, what you should be doing from an athletic standpoint to be stronger, be more resilient, and lessen that likelihood of of injury. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, even everything from uh, you know, I, I love that this conversation isn't just about like what you should be doing, but it also goes into sort of how to start where, you know, what are the basic things that you can do? And you, it really gives sort of like a prescription for, you know, you should be doing this. Here's what you need to do. Yeah. We don't get too specific, but we do talk very like philosophically about why this is important and what we need to do. But the main thing that we're trying to do as well is just like break down the walls that exist around strength training and physical therapy, because I think both of those things feel very intimidating and sometimes unapproachable for a lot of runners. For example, any runners are like, I don't have two hours in the week to strength train. You don't need two hours in the week. If you have two hours in the week, great. Make sure you're making good use of that time. But as Ian says in this conversation, all you need is 20 minutes a couple times a week. And you can find 20 minutes and make good use of that time. And if you're doing it consistently enough, you're really going to notice the the benefits. And when it comes to physical therapy, when to actually go see one and how a physical therapist can help you out. Because I think there are a lot of runners listening to this. In my experience as a coach interacting with a lot of runners, there's frustrations around physical therapy because they don't understand runners and they tell you to just stop running. So why am I going to go see um, someone who's going to tell me not to do the thing that that I want to do? So we get into a lot of that in this conversation. And I found it super interesting. And I think and hope that people listening to this will too. Definitely. Well, I guess before we get to the interview, should we do a shout out to our sponsors? We should definitely do that because this podcast, this episode, this series, the morning shakeout as a as an entity um, doesn't happen without support from the the great partners, especially this one, which is Tracksmith. Tracksmith has been my longest standing partner of the morning shakeout. We've been working together since 2016. Um, I love everything about this brand. I mean, they make the highest quality running apparel that is out there, but I think they do a better job than any other brand out there as well, celebrating just the history and culture of this sport that we all love. And, you know, that shows through, you know, the the apparel that I think most of their business is built on, but also just in the events and experiences and content that they produce and put out there, whether you're buying their, their clothes or not. Um, I mean, I partook in the Tracksmith Twilight 5000s last summer. Um, I've done shakeout runs with them at various events. I mean, I subscribe to um, Meter Magazine when that comes out, just reading great stories about the sport. They do incredible stuff with, you know, with video, but you know, the the product is really, I think, what they're known for, and good reason. It, it's great stuff. I mean, if you see me out training or at an event, I'm head to toe in Tracksmith. Um, they have a number of staples in their line that I just 
keep coming back to my my favorite my number one go-to right now is the Alston half tight I have I think three four pairs um, in a number of different colors I've lined and unlined versions I wear them for all my speed workouts I wear them in all of my races um, as of this conversation I just I raced a half marathon last weekend had the Alston tight on had gels packed in there my car key uh, they're great they're super comfortable um, you know, I just, they don't ride up at all. I mean, they're, they're very well made. I've worn a number of different half tights over the years and these are by far the best. And I really, I mean, we could spend an hour or more just talking about my favorite tracksmith pieces, but, um, I'm going to leave it at that. But while I have you, I mean, you have a number of tracksmith pieces as well. What have you been rocking? I mean, oh, we're man. in the spring now, but what were you rocking over like most of the winter? Cause we're not out of it yet. So well, I think you'll be rocking stuff well, for a while is, longer. This is, this is my perba recommendation for anyone who's interested in tracksmith is checking out the Brighton base layer, which for winter running, um, just walking around town. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a Merino wool blend sort of form fitting shirt that I've, I mean, I wear that thing three days a week and, you know, quote unquote, California winters. But anytime the weather's under 40 degrees, that thing is coming on. I love it. Yeah. That piece is money. And I have worn it under a jacket. We've had a very wet winter. It's actually dumping rain outside as we're having this conversation. And it, it does what it's intended to do. It keeps your core pretty warm, but I've worn it just by itself. And it's not so tight that it looks ridiculous if you're, (laughs) if you're wearing it on its own, even though it's meant to be a base layer. And then my non-running use for it is coaching track on Wednesday yeah. nights because if you've ever been to to San Francisco at any time, but especially this time of year, I mean, once the sun starts going down and the wind and fog start blowing in, it gets freaking cold. And if you're not the one who's actually running around the track, uh, though, would be great for that too. I totally. mean, you really need to just like keep your core warm. So I'll wear that as, as my base layer and then I'll layer it on top of it. And I've got, you know, like a, a sweatshirt and then I've got a light jacket and then I've got a heavier jacket over that, but it all starts with the Brighton base layer. So very totally. functional piece. I mean, in most places in the world, we're coming out of winter, but, you know, because it's a merino wool blend, I mean, it really regulates temperature pretty mm-hmm. well. And we're coming kind of into the shoulder season um, as well. So if you're looking for a piece to kind of, you know, bridge that gap uh, as we really get into spring and, and eventually summer, I mean, I can't recommend that one enough, but, you know, for anyone who is listening to this, um, if you go to tracksmith.com slash Mario, Use the code Mario Give, and you can get free shipping on your order. And five percent of your purchase will go to the Friendly House, which is an organization in Worcester, Massachusetts, where I'm from. They do a lot for the community there um, for disadvantaged youth, and it's really just a, a an organization, a cause that's near and dear to me. So um, it means a lot that you know a percentage of purchases. Um, from that code, that's Mario, capital G, capital I, capital V, capital E, um, will go to the friendly house. So tracksmith.com slash Mario and then the code Mario give when you check out, get your free shipping, and then a portion of your purchase will go to a great cause. So with that, let's get into this conversation. With Dr. Ein Bowie, Run Resiliently, DPT. Now we're rolling. We're going to get it on this take. We've got our run out of the way. Now we're going to sit down and talk about all things strength training, physical therapy, maintenance, etc. Ein Bowie, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mario. 
you are a doctor of physical therapy. You work with all types of patients, but a lot of athletes, runners specifically. And where I want to jump in is just your background and how you got to be Dr. Ein Bowie, because I know with at least a lot of physical therapists that I know, some doctors that I know, they choose to go into those fields or those professions because someone in their life profoundly like impacted them or inspired them to want to go down that path or they had an experience, you know, in physical therapy or medicine or something that's like, that's, you know, that's what I want to do. And I'm just like curious. I've never asked you this. Um, I've coached you for a while now. I've known you for a while, but why did you get into physical therapy and take an interest in strength training? So I've always been a lifelong runner. Like I started running when I was very young and I, I played other sports as well, but I had numerous injuries starting in high school, a lot of overuse injuries. And for me, I was the type of runner that used running as my outlet. And I think when you start to use running as an outlet and you go all in every single day, it becomes somewhat Mm self-destructive. And so running was a good thing for me, but it was also bad at the time. So I was getting all of these overuse injuries. um, And growing up in an immigrant family, just we didn't have the resources of injury prevention. Like my parents didn't send me to physical therapy or chiropractic or anything like that. It was just, you know, you're going to rest, take the season off and then focus on school and then you'll go back to running next year. And so when I went on to run in college at UC San Diego, like I just kept getting the same injuries over and over again. And it just manifested into things that took longer and longer to heal. Um, and so that's part of why I went to physical therapy was to to be the physical therapist that I wished I had when I was younger and didn't have. Mm-hmm. What were those injuries for you specifically starting in high school? It sounds like you got caught in this pattern that just kept repeating itself. You know, it was I was fortunate that they were all very common injuries, but at the same time, they were very avoidable. Things like shin splints, IT band syndrome, Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, like those were things that looking back, it should have resolved very easily and should not have taken months and months to to rest and recover from. Mm -hmm. And when you started going to physical therapy yourself, did you find it to be immediately beneficial or did you have some initial frustrations with it? Because I think for a a lot of runners out there who need to go see a, a physical therapist, oftentimes they have either had a bad experience in the past or they've heard from someone else that it's a you know it's a waste of their time the person didn't understand runners you know so on and and so forth what was your initial experience with all of that like so i think a lot of it too is having the physical therapist set expectations for you early on mm-hmm. um and it's a lot of patient education and just understanding that you know um injuries are multifactorial so it's, it's, it's not just doing the exercises, but you have to understand how to modify your training. And I think that's where coaching becomes so valuable um, is that there's so many different variables that affect why somebody is getting injured. Maybe they have other stresses going on. So a physical therapist can kind of help you understand that, set those expectations, and then also realize like, okay, well, this injury might not go away tomorrow or next week, but you can kind of modify your running around it where you go into your run, expect it to maybe be like a three out of 10 mm-hmm. pain level, um, but that you might, it, you know, it might not get worse the next day. And like, that's okay for you to train through. So I think what's helpful having a physical therapist who understands running is giving you permission to move 
and realize that it's not going to be detrimental for you. And like, you are allowed to run as long as you do um, the correct rehab exercises. Mm. Obviously, if it's a bone stress injury, like that's, that's something completely different um, that will require complete rest. But if it's, you know, tendon injury or muscular injury, then you can kind of modify around it. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to get into that with you later on in, in this conversation, but to just keep this focused on you for a little while longer, when you were a patient in college and in this cycle of injury and finally seeing a physical therapist for the first time, when did you start to kind of connect the dots where you're like, okay, not only do I need to do X, Y, and Z to keep me healthy, but this is actually an important part of my my future journey as a runner as well so that I can avoid these injuries and not just be like putting out fires when they come up? Yeah. So um, initially with physical therapy, like I think you have to think, you have to think long-term just like you do with your running goals. Like um, you might not get the outcome from the exercises completely, but just realizing that putting in consistent work over time, there's going to be a payoff at the end of the day. Um, and I think one thing is it's, it's important to normalize the talk of injuries, um, and it's okay to get injured. Like it happens to all of us, but the most important thing is you seek help and you have someone helping you figure out, you know, what is the source of the injury and like how to correct it in the long term. So like, yeah, I get it. Like doing PT exercises is really boring. Um, it's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's not interesting, but, um, diligence and consistent work, there will be payoff in the long run. Mm -hmm. When you started going to physical therapy school and knew that was the path that you wanted to be on professionally, did you know that you wanted to work with runners and athletes specifically? Were you a little more like kind of open-minded to the type of patients that you worked with? Or did you want to be the physical therapist that you wish you had when you were a younger athlete yourself? So I kept a very open mind. Um, when I was in PT school at Columbia, I was very open to doing, you know, regular outpatient PT, but I was also considering like, oh, you know, maybe I would, I would work with the neuro population. And I think it's important to go into something with a broad expectation. Um, fortunately I had really good mentors, um, Colleen Breff at Columbia. She had told me when I graduated, like, I know you want to work with runners and you should just go for it. And like, even so I moved out to Boulder, Colorado to do my sports residency. um, And I wanted to treat all kinds of athletes, um, mountain bikers, rock climbers, skiers. And I worked with probably more of that population than runners themselves. Um, And I think it's important to know how to treat the whole body before you specialize in in running injuries specifically. Yeah. I feel like you could take that whole philosophy and apply it to so many other areas of, of life as well. I mean, that was a, the whole, I think, topic of like David Epstein's book range was like, you know, sample all of these different things, like go wide first and then, you know, narrow in on what it is that you, you want to focus on. Exactly. Cause like, even though I, I treat majority runners today, it's like, well, they're going to come in with low back pain at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or they might have a shoulder injury that's completely unrelated to running, but you need to know how to treat those things. Yeah. As a practicing physical therapist today, what's the most common thing runners are coming to you with right now? The most common running injury that I am seeing right now, and it actually kind of changes over time, but I would say the top thing is IT band syndrome, um, runner's knee, and Achilles tendonitis. Okay. And 
how do you connect those dots? Is there a common thread with the injuries that you're seeing that are, are causing them or is it a case by case type of basis? To me, it's more of a case by case individualized um, basis. Every, you know, I, I always start an appointment as well, just kind of trying to understand the athlete. I think mm-hmm. kind of as you do with your, your, um, your athletes, like I try to understand the whole patient. So like, you know, on my intake forms, um, I, we do talk about the history, their training, but I also ask questions like, do you strength train? Mm-hmm. Like what, what does your maintenance prehab routine look like if you have one? Um, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, do you do any kind of foam rolling or mobility work? And so that kind of helps me figure out the patient a little bit better. And actually what's interesting these days is with, is with data from Strava, right? Like we know that running injuries happen, you know, four weeks before symptoms actually present themselves. So oftentimes these days when a, when a patient comes in, they just show me their Strava data. We can kind of look at trends and see if, you know, they've been kind of work backward. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, that's super, that's super fascinating. Um, on your intake form. So when you're asking them about, are you doing strength training? Are you doing prehab rehab? I, I mean, all of those things, um, on the aggregate, like are, are people doing those things when they come in to, to see you? Are they doing like some of those things or is it kind of all over the map? I would say a majority. No. Um, I will say that people who, who are newer to running have more of a strength training background or like mm-hmm. if their sports growing up was like basketball or soccer, they, they generally do more strength training. My, my master's athletes, um, mostly no. Yeah. I mean, I, I find this with athletes that I coach, um, and as a master's athlete myself, most of the runners in that age category who have been doing it for a long time, who didn't find the sport as a master's athlete, but like me, have been doing it since high school, you know, so they started running at 15 years old. Maybe they've gone all the way through to their forties and fifties. Maybe they took a few years off for school or family or just got away from it for whatever reason. I mean, I find, and and I fall into this category, most of those athletes, um, haven't been doing any kind of consistent strength training or athletic work. They've mostly just been running and it becomes very challenging for them as they get older and, you know, bone density starts to drop, muscles just start to, you know, weaken a little bit. um, And then they get themselves into trouble versus those athletes who maybe found running in their forties, but, you know, they played basketball or soccer or they strength trained and they just did like some more athletic stuff. It's like they, they have that robust, you know, sort of, sort of background. Um, and it's almost like the opposite problem of the people who have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think having so many conversations with patients on a daily basis, I feel like there's, there's three things that deter people from strength training the most. And I think also, if you look at a program, like um, runners will always prioritize the running portion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and strength training is just the first thing that gets cut out, if anything. So one, I think a lot of people don't know where to start. They're a little bit intimidated. Um, two, they don't know how to fit it into their schedule. And three, they're worried that it's going to take away from their running. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, a, that's a fear that people have where it's like, okay, they start a new program they're going to be super, super sore. And then, you know, they might not be able to hit their paces the next day in the workout. Mm -hmm. If I can interject here, I also think, 
um, I not even think I, I know this because I, I was this athlete at one point and I see it with a lot of the athletes that I coach is they don't often view strength training, even though it has that word training in there as a part of the training. The training is just the two hour long run, the track workout on Tuesday, the, the tempo run, like training lives in, in that silo strength training and all of this other stuff I, I want to talk to you about as well. It's like ancillary stuff. Um, and I think because it's been framed that way, it's the first thing to go when there's not enough time or they feel a little more fatigued. I mean, you know, runners are great at making like every excuse in the book as to why they, they can't strength train. It's like the running is, is more important. But I think when you think of it as like, no, this is all training. It's all, it's all part of your training, the running workouts, the strength workouts, even though, you know, in terms of the time that you're putting in, like, yes, you're running more than your strength training, but it's like, you know, that time is also important. That's also part of your training and it should like complement the running that you're doing. And then also like, you know, vice versa, the running workouts that you're doing too, shouldn't be like so intense that you can't, you know, strength train. And I, I, I think your three points are like on the money in my own experience as well. Um, and I'm not someone who, you know, treats patients. It's just a, as a, as a coach, who's trying to like, um, sell the importance of strength training to his athletes. Yeah. And I think to some degree, like as a strength coach, you, you have to be a salesperson, right? Like you, you've got to sell this program to the athlete and make them see why it's a priority and why it's important. And, you know, I think it's such a great way for people to just fend off the running injuries, right? Like all the niggles that people get early on, like the more durable you are as an athlete, the more resilient you are going to be to these overuse running injuries. And I think the other interesting thing about strength training too is, you know, with running, it's just, it's one movement over and over again, especially if you specialize in road races and your muscles are designed to move in different planes of motion. Um, and so strength training allows you to strengthen it, you know, in various planes of motion instead of just going forward. Yeah. I'm glad you bring this up. Um, because I think language is important here as well. And, and a lot of runners identify as just that I am, I am a runner and it's pretty clear what that means. You, you run. And you know this because I coach you and any of my athletes listening to this know this as well. I, I call you athletes. Um, and where I've landed and I didn't come up with this on my own, but I'm like, I coach athletes who specialize in running, which means we do more than just run. It's important that we do more than just run. And like, maybe that's our primary activity. That's where our competitive and performance goals lie. But in order to like maximize that part of it, we have to think of ourselves as athletes and athletes do more than just run. Um, long distance athletes should do more than just run long distance. We should sprint at times. We should run flat. We should run up hills. We should, you know, do this whole wide variety of workouts. We should also strength train. We should also do drills. We should also train athletic movements because like back to what you were saying earlier about just like, you know, when you were thinking about, um, what you want to specialize in physical therapy, like you worked with this like wide range of like just athletes and patient types and then kind of like narrowed it in. I feel like we have to think about our training the same way. Like we have to train as robust athletes and do a lot of different things and then focus it in on what it is that we specifically want to do, whether it's PR in the marathon, um, you know, run a sub five minute mile, um, finish our first half marathon, whatever it, whatever it happens to be. So Mario, I know that in the past year, you have started to get into strength training a little bit more. Um, why don't you share with us how you got into strength training, why you started doing it, and how you make it fit into your 
daily schedule? Yeah, I, I mean, the primary reason why I have refocused on it over the past year is, is turning 40. And something about, you know, just flipping that page and becoming um, not only a, a master's athlete and someone who's been training like fairly hard for almost 25 years, um, just getting up there in, in age, like wanting to take better care of myself so that I can do the things that I enjoy doing um, for, you know, for as long as possible. I mean, and there are definitely like performance benefits to that as well. And then the other side of it is just practicing what I preach because I have my athletes do all of this stuff in, in their program. And I'm like, well, I need to also like kind of walk the talk, so, so to speak. If I'm going to be bullish with my athletes about doing strength training, doing drills, um, doing all of these things, I need to be more consistent with it myself because I've had periods of my my running life over the past 25 years where I've been really good with it. Um, and then I've had other periods, like we all do because um, we're human, where I just like completely fall off the wagon and I'm not doing it. And and the other side of that is when I am doing it consistently, I notice the, the difference. Um, and I have... As of this conversation, I am 11 weeks in a row where I've been consistent with strength training, which is the best that I've done since 2018, which was probably the last time, honestly, that I I did it with like real kind of consistency and intention. And I just find that overall, I'm stronger um, with a lot of, we'll get into specifics here in a bit, but like when I'm lifting heavier weights, I mean, there's a very important movement component to that. And now that I've been doing it consistently, I'm moving better when I'm doing those exercises and I see it translate over into my running. Um, and, and for me, like I had a great strength training coach in 2018 who helped me to kind of connect those dots and now I'm connecting them again. Um, so that's part of it. Um, that's part of it as well. And then, and then I think the, the third piece is also, injury prevention. I've been lucky in that I haven't suffered a major running injury in 10 years, but I realize as I get older and especially as I chase some of the competitive goals that I have at 40, I'm currently training for a marathon, the risk of all that stuff goes up. And if I haven't really fortified my my foundation, so to speak, I'm I feel like I'm walking like a very fine line. So I feel like by really prioritizing this and making it a non-negotiable within my week, it's actually going to help keep me healthier, which, which is just going to allow me to do the training that, you know, that I want to do. So all of those pieces I think are, are connected in that way. Yeah. I, I love that you shared all of those things. Um, and I, I see that a lot too, with masters athletes that I work with. And I think these days too, it's, it's, no one will argue with you that strength training is important, right? Like without a doubt. But I think the the barrier there is figuring out how to start, where to start. And these days, especially with social media, like what you're seeing on Instagram, all of these crazy movements, like it's, it overcomplicates things. Mm-hmm. And when I, I think have, it intimidates people too. It does. It does. Because all you see are like these big deadlifts. Um, or like these crazy movements that people do. Um, and also keeping in mind that what you see on social media, it's to, it's to attract your attention. Performative. Exactly. Exactly. So when I have that conversation with a lot of my athletes and patients, um, you know, it's, you got to start somewhere, even if it's just 20 minutes, two times a week, like that will make a big enough difference. It doesn't need to be you know, a 45 minute routine, three times a week. It doesn't even need to be perfect. Like you just need to start somewhere. Yeah. You're speaking my language. And that was exactly how I thought about it when I recommitted to this two and a half months ago or whatever it was at this point, I needed 
to not be intimidated by it. And that's where I started was 20 minutes. And I even within that 20 minutes just made it as simple as possible, five exercises. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to go, go through those, but we have a kettlebell in our garage. So I do, do kettlebell swings, pushups, squats. Um, we have dumbbells. So I was doing deadlifts and then presses. And that was it. And I was like, I'm just going to start with those five exercises because I know how to do them and they cover like most of my bases and I can do rounds of this in, in 20 minutes and I'm not intimidated by it. It, it, it's just not complicated from an actual like execution standpoint. And I, I mean, you know, and I could feel the difference like almost afterward. I'm like, Oh yeah, I haven't used these muscles or moved this way in, in, you know, quite a while. But I do think like that is a big barrier for, you know, for a lot of people is just feeling like, Oh, I've got to find an hour twice a week to, to do this for it to be effective. Um, you know, and, and I, as, as an athlete, I've definitely like been intimidated by that and had to just make it smaller and approachable. But as a, you know, as a coach, um, I mean, I'm a big believer whether it's strength training or anything else. I'm like, I'd rather have you do small doses consistently rather than, you know, do this big session every once in a while. Exactly. And I love to say like some is better than none. Even when it comes to like PT exercises, if you get like 50, 75% done and you don't do the whole list, like that's great. Um, I think the other thing that intimidates people a lot, and Mario, you're fortunate that you've had a strength coach in the past. So some people who have never lifted weights before, they're really worried that they're not squatting properly or deadlifting properly, and they might hurt their back. Um, and in those situations, like I do recommend working with a physical therapist or a strength coach, a couple of in-person sessions to just learn how to move well. Um, and, and, and know how to move properly to reduce your injury risk. Mm -hmm. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, strength training, I think often gets equated with, with weight training and, you know, then it's just more excuses for people to make. I don't have time to get to a gym. I don't have, um, all of the equipment. And because of that, like, I'm just not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna do it. So let's like, let's start super simple, right? So for the person who can't make it to the gym, who doesn't have like any real equipment at home and just has basically their own body weight to work with. I mean, I tell people this all the time. Like if you have just like a, a, a small area of floor that you can move and like, you know, your own body is functional, then we can like get something out of it. It's just resistance training. I mean, that's all weights are. It's just like pushing, you know, pushing resistance. Let's like start, let's start with that. So for the person listening to this, who is going to make every excuse in the book or legitimately like can't get to a gym, doesn't have access to, to the weights. Like where do we, where do we start in terms of, addressing basic movement and just some, um, basic resistance work that we can do to help us become, to, to steal like, uh, your, your business name to run more resiliently. I think if you at home is a great place to start. Um, if you are just starting from ground zero, kind of like with running, you, you need to build some kind of base first. Mm -hmm. So yeah, before you even go and get that gym membership, like build your base at home, um, learn how to squat properly. You can do side lunges. You can do calf raises, push-ups, rows. Those are great things that you can do at home. You can do plyometrics like squat jumps, lateral squat jumps. Um, I think at some point runners should invest in simple equipment at home, like two kettlebells, some dumbbells, um, a, st a stability ball, TRX. Those are great. I personally have more success being consistent with strength training when it's in my home 
because going to the gym is just another step. Mm -hmm. And it's just another thing in the day that I have to plan and organize for. And I find this to be true for a lot of my athletes as well is like set yourself up for success. And so over time, especially with the pandemic, we set up our home gym where we we have a barbell, we have a hex bar. Those are things that you can add over time. Yeah. I mean, basically remove whatever friction uh, possibly exists because I, I, again, like I do think runners for the most part have no problem committing to doing the the run and will always make time for that. And all you have to do is put your shoes on and go out the door or hop on the, the treadmill. But, you know, we'll make every excuse in the world for why we, you know, why we can't do strength training. And I think a, a big part of this is, is also time, right? Um, is like, all right, I've, you know, I've got to carve out, you know, you have runners who are like, yeah, I won't go out and run if I can't run for at least like, you know, 30 minutes. And I, I've heard this from athletes that are like, well, if I can't strength train for, you know, 30 minutes to 60 minutes, like why, you know, why even bother? Um, what's the minimum effective dose, I, I would guess, for, you know, for, for strength training if someone um, is tight on time but wants to have this be part of their routine? 20 minutes. Yeah. And what would you, what would you, how would you make up those 20 minutes? Like just, just basically, I mean, you went through some exercises here a second ago, but like aside from specific exercises, like are there, you know, are there just like types of like fundamental movements you would focus on? Um, and there are different exercises to like address those things, um, areas of the body that you would focus on. Like, how would you think about it in that way? Yeah. So if I had to break down like the fundamentals the fundamental movements of a strength program for runners, I would pick some kind of hinge exercise, mm-hmm. right? So a hinge movement from the hips, um, that could be a deadlift, that could be a hip thrust, that could be a squat. I would also pick some kind of single leg movement, a lunge, single leg deadlift. Um, I would pick some kind of calf raise, right? Just because the incident of calf injuries are so high in runners that... and especially I would prioritize like a bent knee calf raise. Those Mm -hmm. are great. Um, Some kind of core exercise and some kind of arm exercise. Yeah. Just hit the basics. Hit the basics. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's five right there. Yeah. When would you strength train? Um, I mean, for some people, the answer is going to be whenever I can fit it in and that's maybe in front of the TV at night while dinner's cooking or, you know, they've got five minutes here, here or there, but like, you know, ideally would you do it before you go out and run? Would you do it right after? Would you do it later in the day? Um, would you do it on the same day as like some of your hardest workouts? Like, do you, do you guide people in any specific direction with that? So I, I would say ideally I would do it six hours after a hard session in the morning Okay. because then you have some recovery in between. So if your goal is to lift heavy, then, then you can do that. But some people don't have the schedule to do that, right? Like, especially if you're going into the office or you have kids, like that's just, that's just not going to work. Um, so then I would say, well, just make it fit into your schedule whenever you can. And I think the other interesting thing too, is like, um, sometimes the only day that you can lift is the day before a hard workout, yeah. right? And so some people will skip that because they prioritize the hard workout the next day. But you can also look at that as, okay, well, if I have to lift before a hard workout, I'll just go a little bit lighter, yeah. right? But you're still going through the range of motion. Yeah. So like to me, strength training, um, I consider it range of motion exercises. So I'm going through full range of motions with my hips that I don't normally do throughout the day. And that's why I don't do any static stretching to improve my flexibility. Yeah. I think with all this too, I mean, it is just load management as well. Um, 
I, you just said it really well. It's like, if you are going to do a hard workout the next day, just go a little bit lighter with the strength workout. I think runners tend to be just very hard headed and that like, nope, this is what's on the schedule. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do it, whether that's a hard running workout or, you know, whether it's a hard drink training workout. And it's like, no, it's like, just like we have kind of like medium type of workouts and running, you could do that with strength training as well, or just have like, you know, easier flush type sessions. Um, they don't all have to be hard. And I do, I, I found too, like that, tends to be a, a blocker for a lot of people. Like all strength training is going to be hard. I mean, some new runners are like every run is going to be, you know, is going to be hard. And it's like, well, if you do it consistently enough, then you develop like this kind of wider range of, of gears and you truly can go easier on some days and harder on another. And it's learning how to just like, you know, spread that load out throughout the week and then, and then learn how it kind of interacts with everything else that you're doing, because you can't go hard running one day, go hard strength the next day. Um, I see this with like, you know, my wife's a triathlete and I, I know some other triathletes. It's like, all right, then I'll go swim hard the next day. It's like, you, you can't do that. You've got to like find some balance in the week. And I feel like with strength training in terms of timing relative to the, the run, it's like, well, if you did a really hard running workout, you probably don't want to do like a really hard strength workout, like, you know, right afterward, like just use some common sense, I think in those types of situations. Yeah, I agree. And I think in your newsletter recently, um, you mentioned something about, B plus workouts, yeah. right? Consistent B plus workouts. And I think this is- That's all Mark thing. Coogan, the last guest of the series. <laughs> yeah. Give him credit for that. Yeah. Now, Mario, you have been injury-free for about 10 years, mm-hmm. right? And you, you pride yourself and I pride you on being injury-free for 10 years. Um, what would you say, what would you say is the primary reason why you've been able to fend off injuries for so long? Um, well- as you said, I've been injury-free for 10 years before that. I, I had some very severe injuries, uh, which I would wish upon no one. Um, major stress fractures mostly. And I mean, many of those are related to me just not taking care of myself. Um, and that goes beyond just like not doing strength training and making some stupid training decisions. Um, and while I would not wish that upon anyone, I'm glad that I went through them because I think that's what's helped me to stay healthy for the last 10 years. So it's realizing that I needed to be smarter about my training approach. And I learned the hard way where my line was in terms of sustainable running volume that I could do, the importance of doing um, strength training and just, you know, athletic movement in in other ways, which we can talk about. Like I do a lot of drills and that sort of thing. Um, And I think that's definitely contributed to it. Um, But I think like a lot of it for me just comes down to taking better care of myself um, and, and hitting the fundamentals of yes, smart training, but also eating well, making sure I'm getting enough sleep. Um, I mean, I think those two things contribute to a lot more running injuries than um, people may, may realize. I mean, if you're overly fatigued or if you're undernourished, I mean, you're just more susceptible to getting hurt. I mean, that's just the the truth. And, and then, and then add in, um, training errors with that. Um, you kind of have this like, you know, perfect storm. So I think over the last 10 years, I've been able to, to avoid that. Um, I've gotten away with not having strength training be a regular part of my routine for stretches of time, but I've never been like that far away from it. Um, and I I credit my wife a lot for that because she's very good at that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, will kick me in a kick me in the butt. And and I do think like that helps, but you know, before I started running 25 years ago, like I came from a basketball background and I played soccer and I played football and I played a lot of other sports. Um, and even though I haven't 
done those things with intention in a while. I think setting that foundation in my youth of, of just overall athleticism has really helped me as, you know, as a runner and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, if I go out and I try to like play some basketball now and I start moving laterally, um, I, I'll be pretty sore like the, the next day. Cause I just don't do, I, I don't do a lot of that stuff anymore, but I think like that background, um, as a kid has just helped me to, you know, run, a little more healthy as a, you know, as an adult, but I'd say a big part of it is just, um, you know, back to like B plus workouts. I mean, my, my training is very much like B, B plus all the time. I mean, I, I don't try to, um, I don't try to hit too many home runs, um, because I, it's just like too, you know, it's too risky. So I'm just trying to, to make consistently good decisions. And I think that's helped me to, that's helped me to stay healthy. Um, and it's probably the biggest, you know, contributor to me, you know, to me being healthy along with just, again, like hitting, hitting some of those high, uh, those high notes of just like, you know, taking care of myself, getting good sleep, eating well. Um, because I, I think those, yeah, I think those are, are huge. And, and aside from like doing the actual strength training, um, you know, if people could do a better job of, of eating well, which we'll do a whole episode on, on that, um, you know, and just like, sleeping and letting their body recover and repair itself in between like whatever hard work that they're, they're doing, they're going to be much better off in terms of like their susceptibility to injury. Yeah. So to your part point, Mario, like I think I, I treat a lot of runners who are very scared of getting injured. Mm -hmm. Like they haven't really had that many injuries before Mm -hmm. and they've heard horror horror stories about it. And they've heard stories of people having the same injury for like a year and they've been out for so long. So like the minute that they kind of start to feel those symptoms, like they have a panic response. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I have been in the sport long enough and we've, we've endured enough injuries where it's, there are little windows of opportunities for you to learn about your body kind of where your muscle imbalances are and and where you're most susceptible for injury. So like to me, it's hard to, it's hard to read about an injury or pick up on those early warning signs if you've never experienced an injury before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you counsel your, your athletes? Cause you also coach athletes, but patients who come in and see you and you don't necessarily write their run program to discern between what is, you know, potential injury pain, but what is also just kind of like normal aches and pains that come from, you know, pushing your body on a regular basis. Normal aches and pains are um, pains that usually go away in about 48 hours, 48 to 36 hours, right? That's that's delayed onset muscle soreness. It's more generalized mm. versus like if you went on a, a long run workout and now you come back and it's the pain is just localized to your foot mm-hmm. and it's starting to affect your daily activities like you feel it when you walk you feel it when you get out of bed like those are more early signs of an injury that's brewing yeah and in in those instances do you recommend that a person reaches out to a physical therapist so they can try to nip it in the bud before it becomes like a major problem or are there other avenues that they should be looking at I think the safest thing that an athlete can do on their own is, um, well, you can always, you can always foam roll or do some kind of soft tissue massage work around that area. Like that's not going to hurt you. Um, and then in the meantime, I do recommend seeking help from an expert or a professional, um, just because I encounter a lot of patients that self-diagnose 
And and like when you self-diagnose, you can just go through a whole spiral of different injuries. And who knows, if it is nothing, then great. But if it does end up being something like a stress reaction, well, then you need to treat that properly. Yeah. I I find that when um, athletes consult Dr. Google, they always end up on the worst case scenario. And and usually if you're going to go down that that route, um, you're almost looking for that. I think in a lot of ways, you're like, well, what's the worst that this could be? And then... I don't know the psychology behind this, but you convince yourself like, oh, I must, I must have a, I must have a stress fracture. And it's like, it's like, eh, I mean, one, you need to go see a doctor and like get a scan and get that diagnosed. But two, you're also just looking for the worst case scenario and um, it's probably not that big of a deal. Yeah. I, I think we've all been in that boat as well. Um, one thing that I will say is, is um, interesting about treating specifically runners is so much of it is is patient education and a lot of it too is is coaching the athlete on their injury mm-hmm. so like um prior to specializing and working with runners um i i worked with a lot of excellent physical therapists who provided excellent patient care but weren't runners um and so what i realized was you can have great manual therapy skills you can provide all the correct exercises but if you don't spend enough time actually educating the patient on, okay, well, you need to go to walk jog, do a walk jog tomorrow, not an eight mile run, not a 10 mile tempo. Mm-hmm. But like if you neglect that and they leave your office and they go and do a 10 mile run the next day, well, then they're back to square one and they're wondering why the exercises didn't work. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that comes down to like building trust with the practitioner as well. Um, because, you know, most committed runners don't want to hear that they can't go out and do their 10 mile run the the next day. Um, and this, I think this goes with coaches as well. Cause I, I do this with my athletes a lot too. And it's like, all right, we're going to start like real small. And it's like, I know you're, you know, you'd like to go run six miles tomorrow, but we're going to start with like two miles of like run a minute, walk a minute type of thing. And I think that's where it's like on the athlete as well. It's like, you've got to trust the coach or the, or the PT, you know, in this case that they're, they have your best interests in mind. They're really trying to get you back to that point, but it's like, it, they're not miracle workers either. It's like, you're not going to be there the, you know, the next day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, keeping this like focused on, on strength training, because you are, I mean, aside from being a physical therapist and, you know, being able to like diagnose injuries and be like, okay, you know, we need to do like X, Y, and Z to get you back to where you want to be. I mean, you're also like certified strength and conditioning coach and right programming in that way. And there's definitely a connectedness between the two. Um, but in terms of like strength training and like we've talked earlier, it should have a regular spot in people's like overall training. It, it's, it's an important component of it. How do you think about like periodizing strength training um, throughout the year, like when someone's in a base phase versus when they're in like the, you know, say like meat of a marathon buildup and then versus like the, you know, the taper to a race. And like, oftentimes athletes are going to go through that type of cycle, you know, two, three, four times, maybe, you know, throughout the year. And just as like, you know, I might periodize someone's training to have them, you know, peaked for race day. How do you think about periodizing like strength training so that it is like, you know, again, complementing that, that run training and and also benefiting them in the best way. Yeah. So just how I'll use my program as an example for this. So right now, um, you're, this is my off season because I just race CIMs. Um, so it's my off season. Um, you have me doing shorter races right now. 
Um, so it's actually a really good time for me to- Your volume's a little lower. My volume's lower. I'm not, I'm not as tired at the end of the day, so I have a lot more energy. Um, so right now I, I'm really prioritizing my strength training. So I can go heavier with lifting weights. Um, instead of doing things like three sets of 10, I can do five sets of five and it's going to be heavy weights. Mm-hmm. I can do more plyometrics like box jumps. Um, and also since I'm a little bit more adapted to strength training, like I'm not super fatigued going into my workout the next day where we're past that phase. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, my big race this year will be Chicago marathon. So we'll probably start training for that in June. Mm-hmm. And so by then I'm doing more maintenance strength training. Yeah. So, so it's just on this, like, you know, kind of this like continuum where it's like, all right, well, if, if we're going to be like heavy on the volume and you're carrying around that extra fatigue, I mean, you're going to sacrifice some power. So you just can't lift as, as heavy, you know, at that point. Whereas like right now, as you just talked about like your volume is a little bit lower. You're feeling a little bit more spry. You can, you know, kind of focus on that. So I think that's important for people to hear. And we touched on it earlier, but I really wanted to just like kind of double, double down on it because, um, I think, athletes who don't work with a strength coach really, I mean, this is why they work with running coaches too, but they struggle with the whole periodization of, of it all. Um, and thinking like, all right, well, I've got to do the same type of training, like, you know, kind of, kind of year round. It's like, no, it should look different depending on, you know, where you are. And, and it's like much like, like right now we're working on your shorter distance speed and developing your 5k, 10k fitness. So the workouts look different than when you were building up for CIM last fall. I think the takeaway there for someone listening to this is like the strength training is going to look different as, as well. You're trying to elicit a different type of, you know, of, of adaptation. And I think that's an important way for people to, to think about strength training too. It's like, well, what's the adaptation that you're trying to, you know, elicit? Are, are you actually like trying to like get stronger? And if that's the case, like there's a, a definitely a way to do that. But if we're like closer to a marathon, no, we're not trying to get stronger. We're actually just trying to like, you know, maintain, we're literally in, in some ways with strength training, just going through the motions as well. And, um, again, like it doesn't all have to be, it, it doesn't all have to be super hard. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, to your point, like in the off season, we're trying to develop speed, mm-hmm. right? So like when I, when you have me doing like two hundreds on the track and I'm completely out of my comfort zone, like I, the first time that we did it this season, I wrote to you and I said, Oh God, like I can literally feel those motor units being recruited and yeah. they have not been recruited that way in a long time. Yeah. And sometimes that's how I feel in the weight room as well is like, I am physically trying to stimulate those motor units become more efficient at one, finding where those fast twitch muscle fibers are that just haven't been used in a while. And, yeah. and I feel like the strength training I'm doing right now is actually complementing the running very well. Yeah. I, I feel the same way um, with my strength training at, at the moment. When I started some two and a half months ago and, and having, you know, basically not done it in, in a while, it was like, dusting stuff off from the closet that just hasn't been taken out in in a bit. And it like, you know, it's like barely resembled what it should really look like. And as I've like, you know, dusted more of that stuff off, it's like, it becomes a little bit shinier. Um, you know, you move, you move better, you feel like kind of more competent, but you feel like, you know, these things that have been kind of dormant for a while, like, like you were talking about the 200s that have been sleeping. It's like, Oh, well not only are they like, woken up it's like now they've been awake for they've been awake for a while and it's just like they're functioning you know a lot better and that's kind of how i feel like with my my body at this point strength training i just feel like it's functioning a lot better um because i'm just like 
you know, using all of these things that were just like sitting in the closet for, you know, months on end. Okay. I'm going to be a little selfish in my, my next question, but with aging athletes, um, could really be any, but we're all getting older, but let's say for like the 40 plus masters athletes, 50 plus 60 plus, um, outside of running, I mean, you see in just the popular media, it's like, okay, as you're getting older, you know, resistance training is good for, you know, older people. I think that, I, I think that's true, but I also think it's like true and especially important for, you know, older athletes because we do lose bone density, you know, our soft tissue muscles, et cetera, become like less, less pliable, less powerful. Where, where do you fall with like, you work with a lot of, I, I mean, you work with a lot of my master's teammates with West Valley track club who come in and see you for like, you know, various things. Like, where do you, where do you go with them when it comes to, you know, strength training? Do you have to convince them of, of its importance? Um, yeah, just kind of fill me in on that. You know, the interesting thing is there's not that much convincing to do. Yeah. In fact, a lot of them already have all the equipment. It's yeah. just they have to they unbox have to they have to unbox it or dust it off to some degree. But um, you know, kind of helping them realize what the statistics are of aging for masters athletes. Mm-hmm. And and in the research, the definition of a masters athlete is thirty five. Thirty five, right. It's not forty, yeah. which to me thirty five is young. Um But the three most common running injuries that we see are hamstring strains, uh, calf strains, and Achilles tendinopathy, um, which which I would say are on par with what I would see in master's athletes. So um, making sure that they, well, one, making sure that they have some kind of program, and it might start as physical therapy first if they're coming in for an injury. So exercises to um, rehab that injury first and then kind of um, bridge the gap into strength training and performance. Yeah. Um, on that topic, how do you, how do you marry like physical therapy and strength training just in, in your own approach, having uh, formal study and a degree in physical therapy, but also being certified in strength training? Yeah. So I think in, with traditional physical therapy models, it's very focused on function, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, especially insurance-based physical therapy. Like if you can walk up and down the stairs without knee pain, if you can go on like your 30 minutes of exercise, like you're good. But a lot of my patient population, they can, they can do all of those things, but they might be these like 100-mile trail runners who might not have knee pain until mile 80. And those people get dismissed a little bit by the healthcare system. Um, because they're very functional. Mm -hmm. So for them, oftentimes it has to do with, well, their muscles are fatigued later in the race. So we, we have to one rehab the injury that they're coming in with. That's the priority fix whatever mobility issues, movement issues, muscle imbalances that have been going on, and then start to incorporate more strength stability exercises. Um, and so The first thing that I do is uh, an assessment, right? Like check the boxes. Do you have range of motion? Do you, do you know how to engage your core through basic movements? Do you know how to engage your glute muscles through basic movements? Um, And then from there we can start adding weights to it. Um, And so that's, that's usually how I bridge the gap between rehab Mm -hmm. and performance. And um, you know, eventually like we will come up with strength exercises specifically for them to do. And they'll work on it, you know, in the next month and then they'll come back and we'll progress those exercises going forward. I know a lot of people 
will only come to see you or another physical therapist when, when there's a problem. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, as long as things are kind of like clicking along, uh, they're not, they're not going to give you a call. But I mean, most of the people who, who come to you, I imagine are in like some state of panic. It's like something's gone wrong and, you know, I need to try and, and fix it. Um, and I mean, you know, for, for the sake of, of athletes, it's better when they, they don't have to do that. I mean, what are, what are some things that every athlete can do just day to day to help minimize the likelihood that they've got to give you or someone else in the physical therapy field a call to quote unquote, fix them. I'm going to go back to what you said at the beginning of the episode about, you know, viewing your training, like, like a car, right? If you were only to have one car for the rest of your life, like you're going to get an oil change pretty frequently, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to want some kind of maintenance work on that car so that it runs for as long as possible. And I think that's the exact way to view rehab, recovery, maintenance work. Um, So generally, general things that I recommend people doing is one, if you have a desk job and you have to sit for a majority of the day, you need to get up and move every 30 minutes or at least change your position. Um, Standing all day is not great. Um, You can also stand with bad posture all day. So as long as you're alternating between sitting and standing, taking breaks, um, I highly recommend that you do some kind of spine mobility if you sit all day because your mid-back will get stiff and it's going to impact your posture, especially during running. Um, Like you said, as an experienced runner checking in with yourself frequently on the run. So like you don't need to go home and roll out every single muscle group in the body. Like I don't think that's anyone possibly has enough time to do that. And if you do, great. Um, But for example, like myself, if I go on a trail run and my calves are just really, really bugging me that day, I'm going to spend extra time on it at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. right? So just giving major muscle groups of running some attention throughout the week is a good recipe for injury prevention. Yeah. What I suggest to, to my athletes is just carving out like a small period of time two to four times a week, depending on your schedule for that routine maintenance. I mean, I I use the car analogy. I love analogies, but I use the race car analogy for everything. It's like, you just go into the shop for like, you know, five to 15 minutes and doesn't mean anything's wrong necessarily. And don't wait till something's wrong to go into the shop. But if you, if you go in, like you're going to reduce the likelihood that you need to go in for like a major repair at at some point. And it is just like, you know, simple stuff that you can find. I mean, if you, if you object to any of this, please just like chime in. But in many places on the internet, I mean, just follow your Instagram account. I mean, you, you offer a lot of this stuff up where it's just like, you know, basic mobility stuff that doesn't take much equipment. Like if you have a lacrosse ball, you know, you can do, you can do a lot with that or like a tennis ball or, you know, a, a rolling pin, you know, downstairs in your head, like all that sort of stuff. It's like, it's like, you don't have to do it every day, but if you're doing it like a, a little, a little every once in a while goes, you know, goes a long way. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you do have to end up going into the shop and like getting some professional help, it's not a bad thing. If anything, you'll walk away with a routine. And even though you get past that injury, you should still continue to do your exercises, your PT exercises, like once a week for maintenance work. Um, Like I know with myself, like my posterior tibial tendon is really my Achilles heel. Like that's my weak spot and maintenance work. I still have to do a lot of exercises for that, even though it's been six months since the original injury. Yeah. And I think that's important for, for everyone to hear 
because I mean, we've kind of alluded to it, but just say like, it's, it's part of the journey of being a runner. You probably will get injured at some point. It's a high risk sport. Even if you're doing like everything right, um, there's a high likelihood that at some point something's just, you know, gonna act up on you and, you know, you're going to have to take a little bit of time off or run a little bit less or, you know, realize the importance of like doing like a little maintenance. Like it's, it's okay. But I think there are a lot of runners, especially new runners. I see this a lot. They're just like paranoid about getting hurt. Like I just don't want to get hurt. And it's like, no one, no one does, but if it happens, it's okay. And there are, you know, tools and resources out there to help you work through that. But the important thing is that's also experience and it's going to inform your perspective moving forward. So, you know, then it, hopefully if you're doing it right, becomes less likely that you make those same mistakes that kind of got you there in the first place. Exactly. And I think, you know, when you've been injured enough, you develop that perspective where, yeah, you really don't want to push for those A plus workouts anymore. Cause you just start to realize it's not worth it. Yeah. I had, um, a friend of mine uh, who shall remain nameless for the sake of, of this podcast, but you know, we were talking about B plus workouts um, just a couple weeks ago. And he said his, his college coach told him, he's like, B's get degrees. And uh, he's like, if you're getting, if you're getting straight A's, it probably means you weren't sleeping enough. And if you're getting C's, you weren't really managing your time very well. And I, and I kind of love that. And it's like, no offense. I mean, no offense to the, you know, the A plus strivers out there, the C's, but I'm like, I think that's right. It's like, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're doing it like pretty well, most of the time you're going to be, you know, you're going to be okay. But if you're like so fixated on, on every detail, you know, you're probably sacrificing something else that's important, uh, in the mix as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, you know, sleep for recovery is just so overlooked as well. Like there's so many different rehab gadgets that you can get these days to up your recovery. Yeah. Norma tech boots, massage guns, I'm vibrating foam rollers and whatnot. But I think what it all comes down to is like sleep is the best thing for muscle recovery. And if you're not getting the minimum, then, you know, getting Norma tech boots isn't really going to help you as much. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen this, um, in my past life when I managed a, a running store, I mean, we'd have people come in all the time with all, you know, all manner of, of injury. And most people just, you know, they'd happily pay a hundred bucks if it would make their injury go away. Give me the inserts that will cure my plantar fasciitis or like make my knee pain go away. And it's like, it might provide you like some relief, but it's not going to, it's not going to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's, the other things that you can't really pay for, but are just a, a bigger investment. A lot of that's time. And like, some of that is just is sleep. I mean, I have this conversation with my athletes a lot who are susceptible to injury and it's, it's not, usually it's not because like they're, they're doing the strength training. Like they're doing like some of the mobility stuff. It's like, well, why do you keep getting, why do I keep getting injured? It's like, well, you're sleeping like four to five hours a night. You're not giving your body a chance to repair itself or, you know, for the amount of running that you want to do, like you're not properly like nourishing yourself. And it's like those, uh, I think those pieces often get overlooked. Like we almost want to get like, so, I mean, I'm sure you see this like as a PT all times, like, you know, my, my knee hurts and like, you know, as a good PT, you're like, all right, let's get to the source of that and figure out like why that's happening. And they're like, no, 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 just like do something to my knee and like kind of make it go away. And it's like, it's like, that's just, this is a, this is a, this is a more holistic thing than that. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, there's, there's a time investment for a lot of things. And I think a lot of people want the quick fix, right? Like they'll pay for the quick fix. Um, and I think, you know, with rehab, strength training, um, sleep, nutrition, like that's, 
that's all an investment. Mm -hmm. Switching gears a a little bit, um, and I'm going to use myself as just an example here, but I'm someone who's been running for a long time. And when I was, when I was in my teens and early twenties in college, I mean, I could, I remember like in college, I would, I would get out of bed, like go to the bathroom and like be out running in like less than 10 minutes. I, I didn't need much time at all. And, and maybe I would like ease into it, but I would be fine. I could, I could kind of get my run done. Um, and I could get away with that for a while. Now that I'm 40 and I just have like a lot of miles on my odometer back to the, the race car analogy, I can't do that anymore. Um, and nor do I want to, I, I want to do that. I don't, you know, I don't like feeling rushed number one, but I, I, I literally can't do it. Like I, I know that at a minimum I need like an hour from the time that I get up till the time I start running to just like feel, you know, semi-normal and, you know, I've gotten to a point somewhat like begrudgingly, but I also noticed the the benefits of it where it's like, I, I can't, even if I give myself like an hour, I can't just like go out and run most days. So like what I, what I do because it works for me and it's like simple and it only costs me five minutes is I do, um, I call it the Jay Johnson lunge matrix. And then I do a series of, of leg swings. And it's like, that usually gets me like pretty good to go out on a run. I've had, um, some of my other PT friends, like give me some other like activation exercises, but you know, for people listening to this, no matter what age they are, but especially if they're, they're older, um, what would you recommend the, you know, 15 minutes looks like before they start their actual run or workout? Yeah. So I, I like, first I like your routine. I think that's a great routine. Um, you're really checking the boxes in terms of range of motion, moving your hip joints in various degrees of range. Um, if I can interrupt too, yeah. the other thing I, I do aside from those, um, and again, why I need more time is I actually like spend some time walking around my house barefoot um, because I just find like, as opposed to even having like my slippers on, it just engages my feet a little bit more. And then I've got this little spiky ball that's the size of a, a golf ball that I'll like roll my feet around on and just kind of like wake things up that way. And then I do my lunges and my leg swings. And get I going. love it. Um, and I don't think there's one program for everyone. Um, I'm 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 like you as well. So you know I'm in my 30s now, and I think when I hit 25, that was really where I was like, oh. I, I cannot roll out the door and start running like, and, and even like these days, the way that I approach my runs in the morning is like, I really have to ease into the pace. Like mm-hmm. I can't just gun it from the beginning. Um, and that's just something that I've kind of worked through over time. But the routine that I recommend for a lot of people is, well, one, I like the idea of walking around barefoot. That's great. Unless you're dealing with some kind of foot injury in the right. morning, then you know having um, supportive slippers with arch support um, will be helpful. Um, but I do some kind of glute activation exercise, and that that involves using a resistance band. So whether that's clamshells, mm. leg raises, lateral band walks, that's a great one. Fire hydrants, those are all great. I like to do some kind of thoracic spine mobility. So open books, cat cow, those are great just because I know my mid back is very stiff. And then I go and do a couple of leg swings and that's, that's my morning routine. Okay. Um, I hadn't thought about, I I mean, I guess I've thought about them, but I think for me, I always think of, especially if I drive somewhere to run, like I, I probably should have like a yoga mat or something in the back of my, my car, but I'm like, all right, what can I do? Like in a, in a parking lot where I'm like, all right, I've got nowhere to like lay down type of thing. But I, I hadn't even thought of that with bands. That would be just like a relatively low 
investment, but you know, high return in terms of like getting like I've done I've done those exercises for like getting glutes activated, mm-hmm. um, that thoracic spine stuff. I didn't even really think much about, but that maybe that's one that I need to like add into the routine as well. I'm always just thinking about like my legs, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Again, like kind of dumb runner stuff. Like, I'm like, all right, I just need to like get my legs and hips and stuff like ready to go. Hey, running is ears and below. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, those are, those are very good takeaways. Okay. Um, I've kept you, I've kept you long enough. I do want to wind this one down, but you know, kind of to wrap a lot of this up, like I, I look at just like strength training and maintenance as again, like one of these key pillars that's going to hold up a a good foundation of performance. What are people who are knowingly neglecting this stuff, leaving on the table by not making it a part of their regular routine? So if you haven't explored strength training yet, um, the first piece is one, you are risking overuse injury, right? The, um, The statistic for running injuries is 50% of runners get some kind of injury per year. And it's not to say that if you don't strength train, you will get injured, but there's just a higher risk and correlation of it. And then two, there's the other aspect of performance. You'll, you'll never know, you know, like, would your times have gotten faster? Um, Would, would you have felt stronger during a long run? Um, And then the other third piece that you might be leaving on the table is, you know, could you have had more years running than you did? Oh, those are, those are great takeaways and all very like selfishly relevant to me right now as an, as an aging runner. Cause I'll, I'll add two things to that. One thing I've noticed at my age of, of 40 and running less volume than I did, um, in my mid early to mid twenties and even early thirties, I have found that strength training has helped to, um, you know, replace maybe too strong of a word, but I, I actually feel like, especially with the marathon, like I'm much lower volume than I was many years ago. Like probably, um, call it like 60 to 75% of, of when I was younger, like at my, my peak volume, but I'm, I'm running faster now. And I think some of that's intelligent training, but I also feel like you know, I'm, I'm getting so much out of the strength training. It's actually serving as a nice substitute for, for some of those, those miles. Um, but the other part of that too, is I, I feel better than I felt 10 years ago. Now having done this consistently, like I just feel stronger. I feel like I'm moving better. I have, you know, much more energy and I, and I feel like, um, especially when, before I was trained for the marathon that I am now, like I was running, um, or training for an indoor mile and doing much faster stuff, I actually felt like it helped me to just kind of get more out of myself from like a, a an output standpoint. Like I was like, oh, all right. Like I don't have to go and do the super high risk thing of like ripping a ton of like 200s on the track. But by, you know, doing this strength training regularly and I was doing some like plyometrics and drill stuff, I'm like, wow, I'm able to like unlock a lot of that as, as well um, and just kind of keep that, that risk of injury like a bit lower than I otherwise might have. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually kind of the opposite as you, whereas like 
I started strength training about five or six years ago consistently, and I feel like I can actually run more mileage. Yeah. Well, I, I think it. Um, my, my old strength training coach, Nate Helming, he had this phrase that was earn your miles. And, and I think that's a big, you know, a big part of it. And again, like part of like being an, an athlete, like if you want to be able to run more and it's important to run more, to be a, a better, a better runner, you have to have a foundation that's going to, to support that. And I really think like just strength training, overall athleticism is that foundation that allows you to, you know, to do that, to run more and to get more, you know, out of those miles. So I think there's a, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Cause I think where a lot of people get themselves into trouble in my experience is they're like, okay, I know I need to run more miles, but they're not strong enough to handle those miles. Like that, that takes strength to be able to, you know, to do that. So, you know, it's an, it's an investment in that and being able to, you know, train in the way that you want to train. Last question that I want to ask you, and I've been holding on to this one, but your Instagram handle, your website is run resiliently. So to you, what does it mean to run resiliently? Oh, that's a great question. To me, running resiliently means, and actually I've, I've learned this through the process of starting my business in 2021. It doesn't mean that you are inhuman and you don't get injured. Like that's, that's not what it means. Like resilience means that, you know, you, you can bounce back from things, right? Like it's okay if you get injured, but you can bounce back from it and come back from it stronger, faster, better than before. And to me, that's what run resiliently is. And, and it's not just physical therapy, you know, it's, it's strength training, it's run coaching and it's, it's everything in between. Two of those four, actually, I mean, you didn't say it specifically, but it is like the four pillars that I'm trying to get across in this, in this, in this series that, you know, again, like the, the word that I'm keying in on here is like sustainable performance. Um, and I think like if, you know, if you're doing pretty well in like those four areas of, of training, of strength training, physical therapy, of nutrition, of like the mental side of it, sports psychology, I mean, you're never going to be perfect in, in all of them. Or if you are perfect in one, something else is probably out of balance. Like you're going to be able to sustain that, you know, for a long time. So I think that's a great one to go out on. Ein Bui, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you, Mario. All right, that's it for this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. If you could go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, leave a rating and a review. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners to discover the show. A couple other quick thank yous. One to our sponsor, Tracksmith. Tracksmith's spring collection is now available. A bunch of my favorite training staples, including the Alston Half Tight, which I talked about in the intro to this show, the Brighton Base Layer, which is one of Chris and I's favorites. If you go to tracksmith.com slash Mario, use the code Mario Give. that's M-A-R-I-O, capital G capital I, capital V, capital E, you will get free shipping on your order and 5% of your purchase will go to the Friendly House in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is an organization that is near and dear to me. A couple other thank yous before we wrap this one up. One to the man across from me right now, Chris Douglas. Thank you so much for everything. I'm co-hosting this introduction. 
helping manage the partner relationships that we have here at the Morning Shakeout and help putting out various other fires that I tend to start uh, throughout the course of the year. It really means a lot to me. John Summerford, who has edited and produced every episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast. The show would not sound as good as it does week in and week out without his work on it. And my last shout out is going to go to Nicole Bush, who is the newest member of our team. She is I'm just going to call her Media Maven. Uh, She has been super helpful in helping me strategize around various initiatives with the Morning Shakeout, especially on social media. And I'm really, really stoked to have her on board. And I think that's about it. Um, For my co-host, Chris Douglas, I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 